Do you ever find yourself just wishing sometimes God would zap you? I mean, I'm not talking about like strike you down with lightning so that you no longer exist kind of zap you. I'm talking about that God would just kind of zap you so that instantly there was, there was transformation. Instantly that something changed in your life. That the things that you've struggled with you no longer struggle with or things that you wish were more a part of your life are suddenly easily a part of your life. And God just kind of bang and he just instantaneously puts that in you. Or even, God, if you, if you can't just zap me, Lord, is there a way to microwave that process, right? So that I could just like, 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 you know, pick up this character quality and put it in the microwave and hit the button. And two minutes later, it's like, ding, and it's fully developed in my life. And there are times, and maybe you've heard a story or two through the ages. Maybe there's even a part of your life where you look back and you say, you know, God, God, God did kind of zap me. I mean, this, I, before I came to Christ, I was this way. I came to Christ, and I no longer have a, a craving for that. I'm no longer struggling with that or whatever it be. Sometimes God does that. But that's not the most common way that God deals with us. That God begins a good work in us by his grace in Jesus Christ, but then he continues it on. He grows things in us. And we wanted to take a few weeks leading up to the start of school to just remind ourselves of some of the basic ways, and we certainly can't cover them all, but some of the basic ways that God grows me. Last week, we looked at the centrality of of the Bible, God's Word as a catalyst for spiritual growth, and just kind of challenged one another, how do I make that more and more a part of my life so that God can use that in transformational ways in my life? But today, what I want us to focus on is one that... I find is often kind of a missing piece uh, of the puzzle for for many of us when it comes to accelerating uh, the work of God in us, uh, allowing God to grow us. And that is that God has chosen to grow me and you through people. That God has chosen to grow us through people. And and let me just go ahead and, and put it kind of in statement form at the very beginning. Part of God's design from the beginning is that God has designed us so that we must, we must have relationships to grow into all that he desires us to be. I mean, go back to the very first book in the Bible, go back to the early chapters, go back to the creation account, and you find in there these words, God looked and he said, it was not good for man to be alone. Now, very often when we read that, we, we, we tend to, to think about, oh, well, that's, that's like a marriage passage. And it certainly can speak to that. But it's, even, it's much more than just a marriage passage. It, it, it is about how God designed us even before sin entered into the world. He designed us for relationships. Relationship with him and transformational relationships with other people. God uses people to grow me. Said another way, for good or for bad, and relationships can affect us for good or for bad, and that's why parents want to know who their kids are hanging out with, right? For good or for bad, as a child, as an adult, doesn't matter, for good or for bad, our relationships have an incredible power to shape us, to shape who we are and who we are becoming. And that's why there is so much about it in the New Testament, so much about, uh, about being connected to each other. Uh, there's many, many examples, and we'll look at several passages as we walk through this morning, but let me just start with Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, 
There's this, it, it kind of starts off, uh, he's, he's laid this incredible foundation earlier of, uh, of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And then chapter 4 opens with a call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he talks about bearing with one another and the unity of the spirit and one body and one spirit. And skipping down to verse 11, he talks about even giving a certain uh, giftedness, apostles to, to teachers, uh, prophets, evangelists shepherds uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood there is a maturity that takes place in that context of community to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ we talked about last week the ultimate goal is that we would become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love when we are connected and when every part is functioning well we build ourselves up there is growth that takes place but it has to take place in the context of relationships and so what i wanted to do this morning by way of reminder and by way of challenge is just to highlight a few of the roles that other people can play in our growth some of the roles that other people can play in our growth and this certainly is not all the roles but these are some vitally important roles and this is what I'm just going to ask you to do this morning as we dive into this I hope that you'll listen to my voice but much more than that I hope I hope you'll be listening uh, to the voice of God's spirit And, and I want to ask you to listen for that voice kind of around this this question Lord what do I need more of in my life right now Lord, what do I need more of in my life right now? So as as we go through some of these roles that other people can play in our growth, just, just as you sit before the Lord, just allow his spirit to speak. Lord, what do I need more of in my life right now? And it may be very, very different for, for different folks. My, my guess is, and my hope is, that as we walk through some of these things, the Spirit's going to prompt something in you to say, that's what I need more of in my life right now. What are the roles that people can play in our growth? Well, the, perhaps the most basic one of all is just connection. It's just connection that we were designed to be connected. We already saw in Ephesians that allusion to the, or illustration to the, to the body. And that is one of Paul's favorite images, favorite word pictures. He uses it over and over again in his letters. Here's a few examples. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another we were designed to be connected to one another to the corinthians he wrote as it is there are many parts yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you 
What he's saying to us is almost, almost the antithesis of what many of us grew up with, particularly in an American culture, right? We, we kind of grow up with that, that sense of, of independence. You, know, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, you, you don't need anybody, the Lone Ranger, all of those things. And yet what we find, biblically, God's telling us, by design, By design, we can't say to each other, I don't need you, because we desperately need one another. It is inherent in our design. To the Colossians, he wrote, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. How do you grow with a growth that is from God? You do that when you are connected not only to the Christ as the head, but you are connected to the whole body. But here's what you find. There are many, many, many of us that can be more into religion and less into the connectedness that the Bible actually prescribes. That, that we, we kind of like checklists, some of us, right? Worship, yep. Did this activity, yep. And, and we kind of, I'll do these things. And, and if we're not careful, we can settle for religious activity and miss the connectedness, the connectedness that God designed us for. Said another way, every one of us is designed not just to believe, but also to belong. It's not just about believing in God, but it's also about belonging to his body, his family. When I come to faith in Christ, when I have I've stepped across that line in repentance and faith, I not only now have a heavenly father, but I also now belong to a family. And God designed me to be connected not only to him as my heavenly father through the Lord Jesus Christ, but to be connected to the body of Christ, to be connected to the family of God. I was designed not just to believe, not just to do religious things, but to belong and to be vitally connected. You know what we find is that people, people aren't just looking for friendly churches. They're really looking for friends. And, and I'm not talking about the social media variety. And you can have hundreds and thousands of those, but not have the power of real community and connectedness. Now, please hear me. I'm not against friendly churches. We ought to be some of the friendliest places in the world. But there are a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations that do friendly and do friendly very well. But what folks are looking for is is not just friendly. Now, I'd rather have friendly than unfriendly any day. But what we're longing for by design is friendship, connectedness. And we don't get that in isolation We don't get that in hiding. We don't get that in withdrawing. We need other people for that connectedness. We need to experience connection. A second role that people play in our lives, and it flows, all this, the rest of this kind of flows from being connected, is discipline and structure. 
Discipline and structure. That, that we need other people in our lives at times to bring discipline and structure into our lives. Let me, let me try to uh, flesh that out or explain it by, by way of kind of an example. Uh, l- l- let's just think about the fruit of the Spirit as it's listed in Galatians. It says, when, when, the, when the Spirit is present in my life, what I know is that these are some of the things that He desires to produce in and through me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and let's focus on that last one, self-control. Those are the things that God wants to develop in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. But what we know is that rarely does God just zap us with those, right? Rarely do you just kind of wake up and, and you say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ now. I have complete love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? No. That they have to be nurtured, they have to develop, they have to, to grow in us along the way. So using that self-control, or if you prefer the word self-discipline, uh, as kind of the, the example here, I, I give you a question, and the question is simply this, where do we get self-discipline or self-control? I mean, if God doesn't automatically zap us with it, and let's face it, most of us, maybe by you have some areas of your life where you say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty self-disciplined here, I'm pretty self-controlled, but then there are other areas of my life it's just like, whoo, I mean, I just, man, I just keep fumbling and falling, I can't get a grip on that area at all, and God zapped me, right? But he doesn't. Where do I get it? Well, I'll pray harder, and I'll try harder, and that's great, and that's good, but If that's all we do, we're missing one of God's great gifts to us. Where do we get self-discipline and self-control? What you discover is that God often uses other discipline, other discipline to help us to develop the fruit of self-discipline or self-control. Well, let me try to maybe explain it this way. Yesterday, uh, we had a birthday party for, for my grandson, two years old, two years old. I mean, that is just so cool, right? And he's the, like getting so, I'm just so enjoying this because I get to shop for toys again. And it's like, yes, this is so great. So I was playing with Buzz Lightyear this week. I mean, it was good, you know. And so we're at, this, we're at this party and there's all this going on, all this activity, all this movement and stuff. And then it comes time for the cake and we kind of went the cupcake route thing stuff and so. He has this like big old cupcake and you have the candle. And so what does he do as a two-year-old? Right? I mean, a hand goes right in there and, and he pulls it out and starts licking and stuff. And it's just so much fun. And then, then in the course of it, he kind of puts it on his hair and, and everybody giggles at that point. They laugh. Which, of course, is just like, oh, I'll, keep, I'll just keep doing this. This is getting, like, good feedback here, right? And so there's, there's icing in the hair and all that, and it's great. You know, throughout the afternoon, he's saying, give me, and I need this, and he's wanting all these things and stuff. Now, I got to tell you, I know I'm a prejudice. I know I'm a grandparent, but that's, that's pretty cute in a 2-year-old. It's not quite so cute in a 22-year-old, though, right? So how does a two-year-old get from total lack of self-control and self-discipline to hopefully not putting icing in your hair and, and those sort of things? God doesn't just zap them with that. God puts people in his life, beginning with parents, 
who begin to kind of draw some boundaries, who give structure, who bring some things to bear from the outside until he can develop some things on the inside. And that's not just for two-year-olds. That's for you and for me as well. If there are areas of our life where we see we just, this, this, I, this, I, need, I need to develop some, some control, some discipline in, in this area of my life. It may be that God is saying, you need more structure. You need other people who can bring other discipline to bear in your life. That's why when Paul wrote writing to the Galatians, he said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, not beat him up, not, not, not condemn them. Seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Somebody stumbled, somebody's fallen, there's a lack of self-discipline, there's a lack of self-control. What they need is somebody to come alongside them to restore. And what do you do when you restore a broken bone? You, you probably cast it or splint it or something. You put some structure on the outside until it can, can get strong on the inside. And if there's an area where we're, we're continually stumbling, we need to have some people in our lives that we can say, come alongside and provide that other discipline, that other structure so that God can use that to develop that fruit in me. But Proverbs tells us some people will not do that. There are people who will not do that. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. And he will not go to the wise. He's got this glaring thing in his life. And and probably everybody knows it, but but he won't own it. And he's not going to go to the wise. He's not going to reach out to somebody that could help him along the way. Why? Perhaps a variety of reasons, including the fact that it's kind of painful to think about. But all discipline and structure initially is painful. That's why Hebrews tells us, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If I'm not experiencing this fruit of self-control, and this is just our example, then I need discipline to be trained. I need somebody to help me train by it. It's very interesting. I'm going through a book now. It's about peak and the peak performance. And it actually is a study, not, nece- not written from a Christian perspective necessarily, but, but of, of world-class musicians, violinists, athletes, some of these things. Uh, and it's really asking the kind of the question, how, how did they get there? I mean, certainly they had a lot of talent and, and even practice, but there are a lot of people with a lot of talent in those areas, and many of them practice, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours as well. And they're trying to say, what made the difference? And are those principles transferable to our personal development or to our business life or uh, education life, whatever it may be? And, and very interesting, one of the key principles was that the people who excelled, the people who went to kind of world-class level, whether it was a violinist or an athlete or whatever, they had other people around them. Very specifically, they had coaches or instructors or whatever that were giving structure. They were giving structure and feedback along the way that were helping them, that in the absence of those people in their life, no matter how long or how hard they practiced, they weren't going to develop world-class skills. 
They weren't going to do it unless they had somebody, and oftentimes several somebodies, coming alongside them, particularly at different stages of growth and development, to to provide discipline and structure to call out the best that was in them. And I need that, and you need that too. We need people who can come alongside in 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 a relationship of connectedness to provide discipline and structure. But you know, we also need to experience grace and forgiveness, right? Yes, there's discipline and structure, but we also need to experience grace and forgiveness. And you say, well, Jeff, I mean, good gracious, why is this on the list? I mean, I mean, God gives us grace, right? God, God extends forgiveness to us. I mean, well, why, would, why would we even talk about that in the context of people? Because God has chosen to administer that grace, to flow that grace into our lives very, very often through other people. So Peter writes about that each of us has received a gift. We've been entrusted with giftedness, abilities, talents, spiritual gifts, whatever you want to use there. Using it to serve one another, now that last phrase, as good stewards of God's varied grace. That God's given this wide variety of talents and skills and abilities, experiences and backgrounds, and all of that is as an expression of his grace to be stewarded in the lives of other people. And it's very important to understand, particularly in this area of grace and forgiveness, that the head and the heart work very, very differently. The head and the heart work very, very differently. And, and sometimes we, we, we miss this important distinction. They're related, but they are distinct. The head works primarily on information gathering. Information gathering. So that we, we, we take in information, right? We, 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 we read, we hear, we watch a video, we, uh, li- whatever it is, we, we take in information. And the head absorbs information. The head works on information gathering. That's why we, we talked about the importance of God's Word, the importance of the Bible. We, we need that truth. We need that information. We need to have that downloaded and saturated in, in our thinking. But the heart tends to work on experience gathering, on experience gathering. It's something that I have actually experienced. I mean, think about it even in the way that we would go about training a surgeon. A surgeon is not going to be trained solely in the classroom, right? I mean, no matter how smart, how intelligent they are, no matter how great the textbook or the lecture or the pictures or the video are, at some point, you can't just be trained as a surgeon by taking in head information. Now, before you cut on somebody, we would like you to have really good information, right? But it's not enough just to have head information. You also have to have experience. You have to get in an operating room. You have to watch somebody do it. You have to begin to get your hands uh, involved in the process. You You have to not only gather information with your head, but you have to gather experience in your life. And the same is true in many, many, many other areas of our life. We have to have not only information gathering, but experience gathering. So Paul, as an example, is writing to the Corinthians, and he's given them tons and tons and tons of information. And he's poured out in teaching them in person and through the letters. But, but he knows that there's, there's kind of something missing. Now, notice, notice his words to them in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, 
Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Hear what he's saying. Listen, we have spoken to you, but we, we have opened our heart to you. But, but in order for you to kind of fully access this, there is a restriction right now because you have, you have restricted us in your own affections. You have to open wide your heart. Not just your head, but you've got to take a risk and open up your heart. See, here's the reality. Grace can be available to us, but we may not be available to grace. Grace can be available to us because God has chosen to administer so much of that grace through his people. But unless we are opening up our lives to people, we may not be making ourselves available to grace. That's why sometimes, and maybe some of you have had this experience, I know I have dealt with, with people throughout the years who've had this experience, maybe there's something that's gone on in your life. You, you, you've, you've misstepped, you've blown it, you've just rebelled, you've just walked in a sinful way, you've just done something stupid, whatever it is, but you, you, just, you, you just, man, you feel in the weight of that. And you, you've cried out to God, and, and you've cried out for forgiveness, and, and you know the Scriptures, you know what the scriptures say. You know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And, and I've had folks just say, you know, I know I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven. What are they saying? I know the information, but I don't feel it in my heart. Why? Why? In a lot of cases, it's because they haven't made themselves available to grace. They haven't made themselves available to somebody else to be the instrument of God's healing and forgiveness and grace. They haven't come clean before another human being and had that human being put an arm around them and say, we can get through this. This is not the final chapter of your life. God isn't finished with you yet. And I think that's one of the reasons that James talked about confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another, that you may be healed. Can I, can I just suggest, and I, 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 I don't know for sure, but I've been around enough to know I know for sure. There's some folks in this room that need to be healed. And it's not going to happen just for more information gathering. It's only going to happen when you take a risk in the context of connectedness and community and open yourself, open your heart up, open your life up and experience somebody else saying to you, God has forgiven you. God's not finished with you. It's time to move forward. I believe in you. Uh, please hear me. 
what I'm, I'm not suggesting that we just come to the microphone and start lining up here for the rest of the morning, right? And just you know, put it all out there in front of everybody. What I'm saying is, do you have some relationships in your life where it's safe enough, there's enough connectedness that you could confess and pray for one another as a part of experiencing God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's healing in your life. Because I'm convinced that a lot of counseling sometimes isn't the genius of the counselor. It's just having a safe place to open up. And there's something just healing and having a safe place and having that grace and forgiveness channeled into your life. We need people to play the role of a steward, an administrator of God's grace and forgiveness in our life. Okay, remember, two more. As we're going through this, Lord, what is it that I need most in my life right now? What is it that I most need in my life right now? Some of us may need strengthening and supporting. Strengthening and supporting. Henry Cloud uh, wrote, written many, many books, but one of his books is Boundaries with Kids. And in the book Boundaries with Kids, he tells about something from his own childhood. Uh, that, that he, he kind of had this, this, this disease, that something took place that in just the space of a few days, he went from a very wide open, active little boy uh, to a boy that uh, at four years old, he couldn't really use his legs. And so for a period of two years, he was, he was bedridden, he was in a wheelchair, he was, he was on crutches, and, and it just, it just you know, obviously reshaped uh, everything in the family for uh, those couple of years. But one of the things that the doctor told his parents very wisely, it says, you, you can't do everything for him. If you do everything for him, he's not going to get better physically and you're going to kind of shape his character in the wrong way. You're going to have to push him. You're going to have to watch him suffer to be able to push through this. And you can imagine as a parent, that's just so incredibly hard. And he talks about one time, I think they were even at a church, that his parents were letting him on these, on these crutches make his way up so slowly up these steps. And uh, one time he stumbled and, you know, got turned around and twisted. And, you know, they, they were there just for, but, you know, pick yourself up, come on. And you know how gut-wrenching that is, but made even worse by somebody in the back said, can you believe that those parents are making that child do that? And Henry talked about his mom. As he's, you know, she is one of the, uh, one of the t- most tender-hearted, high-mercy, giving, caring people in the world. And years later, after he kind of came through that, he, he went back to her as an adult, and he said, Mom, he said, you know, I love you. You're, you're so caring. You're so tender. You're so uh, merciful and helps and all that, even to the point of maybe codependency here. But, Mom, I want to know how in the world did you let me suffer through what I had to suffer through without rescuing me? How did you do that? And she just quickly answered back, Emmy. He said, Emmy. She said, Emmy. Yes, every day, 
Every day when I had to do something, I'm just going to read what he wrote. Every day when I had to do something I just could not face doing, I would call Annie, cry my eyes out, and listen to her tell me I had to do it. And she would help me through it each time. It was awful, but I got through it. Emmy was her mother's best friend, a wonderful Christian woman. And what his mother stumbled on and discovered, if you will, was that by herself, she couldn't do what was required. But with the strength and support of somebody else, she could. She experienced 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing staying in the Thessalonians. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is part of what part of the calling of community is to, to strengthen and support, to help one another do what individually on our own we could not do. To writing to the Galatians, Paul talks about bear with, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I wish we had more time to unpack that, that whole passage, but in that, in that chapter there, there, there's an interesting twist. At the first, he says, bear one another's burdens, and then just a few verses later, he talks about everybody carrying their own load. And some folks read that, and they read those verses, and they say, isn't that contradictory? No. When he's talking about carrying your own load, he's talking about that each of us should, should shoulder responsibilities and then do those things and not unnecessarily burden other people. But th- this bearing of one another's burdens is a recognition that in all of our lives, there come those things. There come those hard times. There come those storms. There come those challenges that we, we don't yet have all the capacity within ourselves to handle. And what does God do to help us grow to be able to meet the demands of reality? He sends people, people who can support, people who can strengthen us along the way. Some of us have some areas in our life where we need strengthening, where we need supporting. Some of us need to be that person in somebody else's life. Back to the Ephesians passage we started with. He talks about speaking the truth in love. And we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Sometimes part of strengthening is speaking the truth in love. Supporting is speaking truth into somebody's life. You have the ability to do this. God's going to help you to do this. We're going to get through this together with God's help. Speaking that truth in love. And one other role that I will just hold up for us this morning is the role of modeling. Modeling and discipling, and I'm kind of linking these two together. Modeling and discipling. Many of us, we do some of the things we do because of the models that we've had at different stages of our life. First Thessalonians talks about uh, becoming an imitator. Paul writes, and you became imitators of us 
and of the Lord. Who are the models? Paul and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Think about that. Here, here they were following the model or the example of Paul, following the example of the Lord, and they actually ended up becoming a model or an example to others. Paul would, would put it more succinctly to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, so that we follow models. Whether we know it or not, almost all of us have been impacted by models in our life, right? Whether you know it or not. I mean, I, 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 I can just, you know, think through the years. I mean, some, some, of, you, some of you are able to, to do some things. Some of you cook a certain way because that's what was modeled for you, right? I mean, if you, if you grow up in the South, you cook a certain way because that's probably what was modeled for you. I was, I, I was born in Philadelphia. Now, my parents were kind of Southern, but, but I was born in Philadelphia. They, they didn't cook the same way there. And we had a, had a family in our neighborhood there. I can remember them as a young guy. I can remember they were, they were from England, and they were really different. Because they, they didn't talk Southern. They didn't talk Philadelphia. I mean, they, they, they talked really weird. Why? Because that's the model they had. And when they invited my mom over for tea, it wasn't Southern sweet iced tea, right? Why? Because they had a different model. They had a different model. Some of you still do things. You clean the house the way that you learned from somebody. You use phrases and terminology because that's what was modeled for you. Many of us, when we started relating to people, consciously or unconsciously, we were following the example or the models that were around us. That's why it's vitally important to make sure that we're kind of surrounding ourselves with good models, right? Because we tend to become like the people we hang out with. We tend to, to be influencers and imitators one of another. Models. So that people can fill a role of modeling. And it may very well be that, that if there's somebody that has a strength that, that we don't have or, or something we just sense, hey, God's wanting to develop this in my life. One of, one of the greatest ways to do that is just to say, God, who, who can I come alongside and just kind of learn from their model? It's not that you won't make it your own and tweak it, and it may be that this model works well at this season and growth stage in your life, but you need other models and other areas along the way. But, but who can I model after? And even a more focused part of that modeling is just this whole area that we'll just call discipling. I mean, think of what Jesus did. Jesus taught the masses, but he very intentionally poured into and modeled for a few. Mark's gospel says he went up onto the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Why? So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. What was he doing? Taught the masses. 
But he invested intentionally and strategically in 12. He poured into their life. He was a model for them. He was intentional in instruction. He gave them experiences along the way to help mold and shape their life because he was shaping them for a purpose, for an assignment. It's very interesting that when Paul was kind of coaching Timothy on how to carry out the mission of Christ, he talked about the importance of intentionally pouring into people. People's lives. Second Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's kind of this wonderful four-generational model here. Paul said, Timothy, remember, I intentionally poured into you. You intentionally pour into some faithful men with the intent that they will be able to pour into others. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. So that that he he unpacks this uh, along the way. There is this intentionality. Yes, there's there's the modeling, but it even goes a little bit further than that, that there is that intentionality, that intentionality. Now, we could go on and on and on with other ways that, that God uses other roles that people play in our growth. But I think these five give us a great, great starting point. A great point to just come back and ask, Lord, what do I need more of in my life right now? And, and as you think about that, let me, let me just close with this story, and it, it's part confession. I am, uh, I am systematically killing all the plants at my house, all the house plants. I, I am systematically killing them. I, I didn't set out to kill them. I, I didn't devise this strategy to kill them. I really don't want to kill them, but I am systematically killing all the plants at my house. And it usually goes something like this. I walk by one day because I usually don't notice these plants. They've just kind of been there forever and they're just there. And then one day I walk by and I say, huh, how'd those brown leaves get on the floor? And then I walk over and, oh, I wonder when the last time is I watered this plant, right? So I clean it up and just, oh, you poor plant. I'm so sorry, you know, and I pour water on it. And then I forget about it again for a couple weeks, right? In fact, there's one time I, I was like pouring water. And what do you do? Like when you feel guilty, you just like pour a ton of water on there. It's, sorry, you hadn't any water for two weeks, but here you go, right? And then it just overflows and stuff. So then I pick this plant up and I take it and I, I put it on the back deck because it's like dripping water. And then I clean up my mess and then I forget it's out there on the back deck. And, and then it goes straight from the back deck to the trash can, you know. I, why? Because the plant... To survive and thrive needs the right environment. It's got to have healthy soil. And it's got to have constant access to that soil and to life-giving water. And if it doesn't have that access, if it's not in the right temperature, it's not going to thrive and it may not survive. And you know what I found? You just can't take that plant and kind of brush it across the soil every now and again or just give it 
water after it's like brown and dead. If it's going to thrive and survive, it needs to be continually in contact with the soil, with the water, in the right temperature environment. Here's what I know about you and about me. Is that if we're really going to survive, if we're really going to thrive, we got to be in the right environment. And the right environment is being connected to people, connected to the body of Christ in such a way, at such levels, that there are people in our life who can play these roles, who can give discipline and structure, who can be conduits of grace and forgiveness who can strengthen and support, who can model and disciple. I need that environment to thrive. You need that environment to thrive. Other people need you to be those people in their lives in order for them to thrive. And so I ask you this morning, as you sit before the Lord, knowing that people are plan A in God's development and growth of you, what do you need more of in your life right now? That's what I'm just going to ask you to sit before the Lord with. Let me pray for you. Father, Every person in this room matters to you. Their growth, their development matters to you. Lord, the, the, the more that our life gets aligned with your design, the, the, the more we thrive, the more we live the life we were created to live and fulfill the purposes that you designed us for. So, Father, I just I, I, I pray knowing that that is not going to happen in any of our lives unless we are in authentic, powerful, biblical connectedness and community. And so, Father, I just, I'm just asking for your grace this morning, your gracious spirit to speak into every one of our lives and just show us right here, right now, what do we need more of? What do we need more of? Father, would you help us just to get very specific about what we need more of and what we can do to begin to move in that direction? And I'm just going to ask you right now just to continue to, to sit before the Lord.